Welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining, the World Tour Finals WTF edition. I'm more ways than one. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined as always by Courtney Nguyen. WTF, Courtney? WTF, Ben. That's how we've been greeting each other all week. I wish we had. I wish we were that clever. I know. Otherwise, it's just been cheerio and ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot of parentheses, bracket, sighing. Yeah. It's been a, bl- it's been a, it's been a brutal week, but... It's been awful. It's over. It's over. Um, so we can now talk about it. We can now, it's like one of those things where you have to wait for it to die before you can dissect it to find out what went wrong. That's cheerful. Let's move to the tournament. The tournament, the World Tour Finals, I think it's in contention for one of the worst tournaments ever in terms of an addition of a tournament. I mean, you're making a face, but I think that's a fairly safe declaration. I mean, if you have alternate candidates you want to think about, that's fine. But just on paper, um... All 14 singles matches that were played were won by the higher-ranked player. Only four of the 14 went to three sets, which sounds like more than actually it was. Yeah, I mean, when you think about three sets, you usually think of, like, riveting three-setters, and they really... Two of them were pretty much dead rubbers. Yeah, effectively. So um, that definitely is true. I was only making a fan simply because when you talk about, you know, in my head, I was like, how do you judge what is a crappy tournament? And to me, like, if you... Even if you have like a riveting tournament, but it's you know like a international level WTA tournament or a 250 where no one's doing anything, right. and it's pretty like uneventful. Right. I would argue that's probably that's shittier than but at least getting to see Roger play great tennis throughout the week. Novak played, uh, Novak played really really well. Getting to see Kay kind of back things up, stand you know so. In the big scheme of things, was it really boring? Yeah, would I say it was a shitty tournament? I probably wouldn't go out on that limb. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I totally understand what you're saying with your yeah. comparison. Like, this was better than any edition of Baku ever could be. Sorry, Baku. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I totally understand. Baku I, is such the NCR punching bag. I it's feel like we talk about Baku bag. a lot. It is everyone's punching bag, I feel It is like. the anti-Potoroj. Oh, you love Potoroj. Everybody loves Potoroj. Speaking of Dinara Safina... <laughs> Can you very quickly explain the souvenir from Prague that I got you? You did, I, I, and I will. It was amazing. Ben was in Prague for the Fed Cup final. Yep. And Which briefly was great. Yeah, uh, this is what I hear, and I'm actually really, really jealous that I didn't go. I was here doing pre-press for the World Tour Finals, which ended up being a dud. So in retrospect, the Fed Cup final was probably way more riveting by orders of magnitude than anything that happened throughout yeah. the week. I Although, I mean, I mean, the Federer-Vavrinka match was quite good, Yeah. Um, just from a competitive perspective. But, so Ben got me a present. We don't buy each other's pre- we each, each other presents, but apparently this, and he had given me the heads up, he's like, you will die. Like, this is, like, the greatest thing. This ends all present giving in the world because it's so amazing. And I was like, mm, king of hyperbole, I don't believe you. It's probably something really dumb. It was not dumb. It is pretty much slayed gift giving forever. Slay. It dragged it all. Ben got me this set of WTA babushka dolls, handmade. Uh-huh. The so those you don't know they're these stacking Russian dolls. Yeah, like One is inside nesting dolls, nesting yeah. dolls right? Yeah. So the nesting doll on the should I go outside to in or inside to out? Well, you outside started with the outside because you started yeah, with the okay. biggest one. Yeah. So this was my unstacking process. I saw it. It was amazing because it was the Nora Safina. <laughs> is the big nesting doll already amazing? Doesn't matter what's inside. It could be you know nesting doll after nesting dolls of C four. I wouldn't have cared. The outside was great. Uh, popped it open. Nesting doll number two, Serena Williams. How does that work? I don't know. Open it up. Nesting doll number three, 
Venus Williams. What? Okay. So far, don't really see the pattern, but this is amazing. Nesting doll number four, Kim Clijsters. Huh. Okay. Yes. Nesting doll number five, Amelie Moresmo. Huh? Like baby Amelie. Baby Amelie. Like, you really have to squint to, like, see that it's Moresmo. It was amazing. It was shocking. It's clearly one of a kind. Pretty sure nobody else has it. Looked like something that Ben might have, like, whittled himself, like, during a boring, <laughs> like, stretch during the first day of Fed Cup. But... I've been hiding my woodworking skills from you all this time. Yeah I, yeah. I tweeted it from my account. I tweeted it from the NCR account. We do not know. And I feel like Ben and I are pretty good at connecting yeah. swaths of players. We have no idea what any of those five players has in common to compel someone... To make them a set. To make them a set. So like, if you guys have any ideas, feel free. Dinara, Serena, Venus, Kim, and Amelie. And in that order. In that, that order. Yeah. Because you leave out Justine, you leave out Cherpova. It's intriguing. It's quizzical. Quizzical. It's quizzical. Just like this tournament, bringing oh. it back full circle. So anyway, the first... How many was it? The first eight matches of this tournament were all done in straight sets. And pretty lopsided straight sets, only one tie break in the group, um, and they were all won by the higher ranked player. Which the first match was a little bit of a surprise. I think Nisha Corey Murray was probably considered a bit of a coin flip with how well Murray played in the fall. Um, but after that, it was pretty much ev- what you expected, but just not even close or not even remotely compelling. Yeah, and, and the problem with that. even the first, I think I totally agree. And I think that the problem with the first match of Nisha Corey Murray was that even though it was 6-4-6-4, which actually kind of dusted up a bunch of statistical things that could have worked out better if it was more lopsided, it was really crappy tennis. Like, of all of the matches, it was probably the crappiest match of two players not playing well. Whereas at least the other ones, they were lopsided matches because at least somebody was playing well and the other person was not. Murray Nishikori was just bad. It's just that K sucked less. Yeah. So then, just sort of in somewhat chronological order, Federer beat Ronich then, and one and six. So that was actually not bad. That's kind of what you expect from that matchup. That was there were no warning signs for day one that the whole thing would go to shit. And then day two was a disaster. Day two, uh, Vavrinka killed Burdich one and one, and then Djokovic killed Chilich one and one. And it was for, awkward for Marin Chilich with his serve and Burdich with his serve to not only, only be able to get bro- sorry to get broken that much. Something was up, and that's I think in terms of. I mean, we kind of pointed out the, out the whole thing. We haven't gotten to the final yet, but we'll get to that eventually. Like, why do you think this happened, Courtney? Like, we talked about a lot about the what, but why did this particular tournament fall so flat on its face in terms of having good matches? Yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest thing, there was, there's two primary reasons that I point to. First of all, I, th- I think that there is a lot to be said about um, something that, that Roger brought up and then a, a few other players raised it as well, which is that, the surface and the balls, uh, we don't want to say surface as a synonym for conditions because those are two different things. Right. The conditions at the O2, whether or not they were different this year or last year, I don't know. But the combination of the surface and the balls really made it a difficult for servers to hold. Now, if you can't, if big servers like a Chilich, like a Burdick, like a Roundage can't get two points cheaply on their serve to just at least hold serve and get on the board it's all going to run away from them very, very quickly because we know that they can't return particularly well. They need to bank on the serve being um, effective, and that's something that you saw with Raonic in Paris. It's what you saw with Chilich um, in, uh, in the U.S. Open. Yeah. Um, Burdick is that when they hold, then that frees them up to go big on their return games, and that's just not what they were able to do. They were under pressure right away. So I think that the conditions did fall into it. I think that the players that were better baseliners, which is what we saw, Survived. You better saw, movers. Yeah. yeah, and you saw that in, in, in Singapore as well. 
and in Singapore, you heard, Pet- um, not you heard, but we heard, uh, Petra Kvitova and Maria Sharapova both say, this is not a fast indoor court. We would have liked to see it faster. It is slow. And Radvanska too. And yeah. Radvanska as well, and that affected things. And that's why you see, for example, a Wozniacki blasting through, a Hallett blasting through, getting through, and, and these big servers, these big hitters, not able to control the ball and get it in. So we saw that a little bit here in London. I think, though, reason number two is that you can't discount the fact that Four or five, was it four spots or five spots, weren't determined for the World Tour Finals until Paris. That's right. Yeah, okay. Murray Murray qualified in, yeah, so basically people who had qualified before Paris were Federer, Djokovic, Wawrinka, and Nadal, and then Nadal pulled out. So there were actually five of the right. eight spots one being taken yeah. or secured. Murray had a big lead. He was very safe, but he had lots of... And Chilich, I mean, a lot of them and were Chilich safe. Was very close, yeah. Um, Nisha Corey was pretty actually, close Chilich as well. might have been in. Sorry, Chilich might have been in. That's why I was like, it was yeah. either three or four Chilich in my head. Was in. But, um, you know, and so there was extra pressure. There was extra effort that had to be put in um, in Bercy to get people uh, in to, to get people secured. You know, Nish Corey had to beat Ferrer in three sets to secure his spot. Um, Andy Murray had played his sixth straight week um, to secure his spot. Um, Burdick made the semis. Raonic made the final. I mean, that that's a lot of play. And granted, it wasn't the week immediately preceding London, but it does play a role because it, it, it was coming off of a whole very busy fall for a lot of players who maybe could have taken their foot off the gas pedal a little bit. I'll take that same scenario and go a little bit different way in terms of how many people didn't clinch till Paris, which is the last event of the season. Shows how a lot of these players relatively were kind of marginally here. I mean, there's, there's a big, big gap right now in the ATP between the haves and the have-nots. And really, even if you just make that Djokovic and then Federer and then Nadal, because he's not here, but he's still in that in that strata for sure, and then everybody else. I mean, and Ravrinka is kind of on a plane of his own in the middle there, and then everybody else, Murray coming up. But that was the thing. Every single match here went to rankings. So the rankings right now are extremely accurate. It was a great week if you like rankings. I mean, if you're someone who does your March Madness bracket and picks no upsets, you would have been very happy with this week if you like logic and stuff. I just think that at some point, and for better or for worse, with all the talk about, oh, is next generation coming, here they very much did not. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and slam my foot on the brakes, though, Okay. on that one. It was one fucking week. I mean, like, it, like, I mean... 14 matches, though. That's a pretty hold decent Hold on, hold on, though. It was okay. one week. You had Bear C, where Raonic beats Federer, mm-hmm. makes the final, yep. right? Um, you had, you know, a few upsets there. You had, um, you know, upsets in Shanghai. Not upsets, but Federer beats uh, 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 Djokovic in Shanghai. Yeah, sure. Um, there have been ups... I mean, in the big scheme of things, you take the full data set, there is a wave. That gap is closing. There are new names that are relevant and that are capable of beating all the best players on any given day who are right there. They just happen to have a really horrible tournament. And so I am a little bit more, personally, just a little bit more cautious in the way that I kind of see it and how I write about it in that, yeah, it was kind of like a, to me, this year in London was a one-off. It's usually not this bad. Just like the WTA finals are usually not the Michael Bay slash Christopher Nolan (laughs) slash, you know, Wes Anderson, like, collective like clusterfuckery that it was in Singapore. It's very rarely so good in Singapore. That was also anomaly. So I feel like the extremes were hit by both yeah. sets of finals. So I'm a little bit less inclined to read into what happened in London, other than fair. to just say 
it was crappy just as a standalone thing. I totally agree. I mean, I don't think this is a sign that, like, every single tournament in 2015 is predictable and Djokovic is going to sweep and he'll beat Federer in every single final or in it all or whoever happens. No, I agree this is a one-off. But something about this event, having them all be so close in the rankings, you would think this was as close to sort of a free-for-all as you could get. I mean, people who were losing these matches were never ranked less than, more than seven spots below the, their opponent. Yeah. So you would hope that they made it closer and they just didn't. The anti-climax of the tournament, anti-climax itself hit its peak anti-climax. It's hmm. the wor- the lowest, or I don't know how, I don't know what the superlative anti-climax is. The biggest thud of all, let's put it that way, was heard, it sounds like a great a Winnie Houston song, the greatest thud of all, um, was heard when Roger Federer rumbling started late in the doubles match that Roger Federer might not be playing after his great semifinal against Stan Wawrinka, which he saved four match points. Saturday night, and right after the doubles trophy ceremony was finished, Roger came on court and said, sorry, I'm not match fit, I can't play. Um, revealed later his back issues that had flared up late in the Favrinka match. Uh, he does not play. It's a walkover. We got no final, and that was really frustrating because through all of the chalk, the salvation was, well, if everything goes to form, at least we'll get the Djokovic-Federer final, and that's highly anticipated, and that can't really possibly suck too badly because that's a great rivalry. They're both playing really well this week. And we were denied that in the end. And so it was like, it felt like you were a kid on Christmas who behaved well all year to stay on the nice list. And then you still got cold. Yeah. I mean, it was obviously, I mean, to me, it was, it wasn't even just like a thud, like, or like a, or it was a thud. It wasn't anticlimactic. It just, this tournament just never hit. I mean, anticlimactic would assume that there was a climax and it just it, it, I don't know it was just like a straight line it just like happened and Flat lines, yeah. um, I just I mean there were whispers obviously during uh, Federer's match against Vavrinka that there that he was having back problems I think uh, Ivan Lubicic uh, said as much um, and it was noticeable he wasn't bending as much on his serve um, and but you know you don't want to speculate about a back injury especially when it comes to Roger Federer unless it's something that he cops to to be quite honest and asking around no one really knew what was up the uh, press conference was cut a little bit short last night understandably yeah. so in some level because it was one o'clock in the morning this was not a time for a heart-to-heart chat with roger about the gr- meaning of life and whatever so it was, it was fairly short i think it was something like seven questions but i was planning to ask him about the back and never got an answer and he really did kind of do a really good job of deflecting everything he just kind of talked about he was asked direct questions about fitness and recovery and he never really sounded that concerned no. you know and i and so that was that was surprising at the time uh, when I came into site um, today, this afternoon, before the doubles, already there was some concern because Roger was not, well, whether he was on site, he had not um, showed up to his pre-scheduled press, uh, practice um, on the practice courts that are visible by fans. Yeah. So there were quite a bit of fans who hadn't seen him. So that was obviously a red flag. Um, then there was a, a report, uh, Craig Shaughnessy, who works for ATP or writes for ATP as well as a few other outlets, tweeted that, that Roger had not come on site until 4 p.m., which, considering his matches at 6 p.m., is, I think, to me, even, like, that's the biggest red flag yeah. of all of them. Um, and then his practice session had been canceled. Um, so some people were like, oh, maybe he's practicing indoors, and what do you guys know? And it's like, what do I know? I know what I'm hearing, I know what I'm seeing, and I know that there's a lot of sprinting around and hushed whispering um, in the little corners of, uh, of yeah. the arena. So... I pretty much knew Roger wasn't going to play, but that's something that you can't really break you until you know. Wrong, yeah, you, that's not something you can get wrong. So I sat on it until they finally announced it. But um, in the big scheme of things, what do you make of it, Ben? Is there concern about 
Davis Cup, and are you surprised that it even happened? This is just the third time that Rogers yeah. ever given a walkover in his career in over a thousand matches. Still has never retired from a match. Um, so, yeah, wasn't fit to play. Surprising in a final. Yeah, no, it's one of those things that it, this retirement completely makes you. Uh, more respect to the streak he had before in terms of how healthy he's been, in terms of how... It's the same thing when he lost his semifinal streak, quarterfinal streak at the Slams, whatever. I mean, his success is at staying healthy. It's unbelievable. It's superhuman. And I guess people say it's playing styles, health, whatever you want to say. His secret is, and said, obviously, he works really hard on his fitness, too. It's not just good genes and luck for him. So on one hand, no, I mean, it's a short turnaround for him. It's always going to be tough for him physically to make a turnaround after a night session semifinal. Same thing happened in Toronto with him. He made the final and played the night session semifinal and got pretty much killed by Songa in the final. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't able to make the turnaround. So I wasn't prepared for a Federer flop in the final, for him not to be physically ready. For him to pull the ripcord completely, I hadn't noticed as many of the back things. And like you said, like you said, he played it very poker face or not revealing in the press conference after. There was no reason to sound any alarm. So yeah, I was a little bit surprised when I first heard the whispers, and then they made complete sense, especially with the Davis Cup final coming up later this week, which is a big, big goal of his. He's never uh, won the Davis Cup before. It's really the only big box he has left to check that's not like the Olympics, which is kind of a every four years thing. This is something that's doable that he hasn't done yet. And so for him... Uh, that has to be the priority, and if he's at all healthy, um, they should win the Davis Cup. I mean, with him and Wawrinka playing as well as they are right now, it's uh, very doable. So I do think that he wouldn't have probably played today regardless of if there was Davis Cup or not. I'm willing to guess that, but with the Davis Cup so close on the horizon, it makes all the more sense to me. And the Davis Cup being best of five, too. What do you make, and, and this is going back to just kind of the events of the last 24 hours with, you know, very tense match against Stan, uh, went three sets, Roger saved four set points, um, pretty lucky to save them, only insofar as some pretty not great decision making for Stan Wawrinka, yeah. yeah, he admitted he got, he, basically he served and volleyed Wawrinka uh, a couple serve. of times behind second serves on those match points, and forcing the issue against Federer, and I don't know, maybe that's a good call, maybe it was not, but it didn't work. It doesn't that's work the second sure. time. For if you do it one right, time, you do it one time. Surprise, right, exactly, then, don't do it again. Yeah. Um, but what do you make of kind of the general um, cloud that is currently sitting over the Swiss Davis Cup team? Because there's a lot of whispers, there's yeah. a lot of rumor, there's a lot of, you know, first there was uh, Simon Briggs for the Telegraph, I think, today, uh, sent out a tweet, reported that, that upon review of the tape by somebody, that uh, it does look like Stan Wawrinka was yelling specifically at Mirka um, during, late in that set, which is kind of, I don't know, who, who yells at Mirka? Well, I mean, let's just back up a little bit. There was an incident in the midway through the third set, probably roughly midway, that where Stan was seen telling someone near or in Roger's box to be quiet and then complaining to the chair empire that something, something was happening, making noise too close to the beginning of the points. It was distracting him and interrupting him. He was serving. He was serving. And Federer was serving? I think I think Favrenko was serving. It was too close to when... Maybe. Yeah, no, that's was, what I meant. Okay, yeah. Sam Rod- was serving. No? I no? Think okay. Rod- Maybe not. Anyway. anyway. But it was ca- too Someone close, was serving. Too close to when the points were starting. And then I think it was on Stan's end of the court where the box yes. happened to be at the time. And according to the French TV people that I talked to about this... Um, well, I heard a few... I was trying to figure this out, because it was... They, the TV broadcast never cut to the Federer box, which I was really frustrated by when I was watching this, because 
that would show you like who in the box was getting was acting or reacting or anything. And they never cut to the box. Apparently, the photographers who were sitting next to the box who I talked to thought it was Mirka. Another person who was a French reporter thought it was someone sitting behind the Federer box, like a fan, which, ha- which okay. happened to be sitting behind the Federer box. Um, someone else said they heard that Vavrinka in French said um, to Maurier, Cedric Maurier was the chair and fire, so he was speaking French, that, uh, quote, she did the same thing at Wimbledon. Ah. And Federer and Vavrinka did yeah. play each other at Wimbledon this year. Um, that was the last time they played that's each mo- other. That's the, that would be the most damning of yeah. all the statements. Especially the she, because yeah. the she narrows it down. I mean, unless it's Federer's mom, well, I don't even know if she's at the tournament I don't think she is. I think her dad is here. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's all we know. And they took a long time coming to press, both Stan and Roger, obviously physical match. So not as long as Novak. Not as long as Novak. We'll get to Novak semifinal in a second, because that's also... I love that. <laughs> that one makes me... Say this about the World Tour Finals the this year. semifinal day was For as much as it was boring... It was still incredibly dramatic at the for end. all the wrong reasons. Exactly. Yeah, at the end, anyways. it was very dramatic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if, if let's say, we still don't know, neither is confirmed. I asked Stan directly about it, what happened when you were talking to the box, and he was like, he completely downplayed it, but still had like a, a recognition. He had a bit, yeah, he knew exactly. He knew what I was talking about. He knew what had happened, but he was like, uh, just like, I don't want to get, a, I don't know the quote exactly, but it was like something like, oh, it was a tense match, and it's not important, yeah. or something. But he definitely did not say nothing happened. Right. Um, so there's that aspect so there's of it. That aspect. There's there's a, John McEnroe was yes. saying today on American TV that he heard that Federer and Havrink were having lengthy discussions, animated type discussions, presumably in the locker room after the match, which would make sense if if Favrinka and Mirka were beefing. That would make sense that there would be a bit of a Swiss uh, lack of neutrality. You do in, not in yell at Beyonce. I don't care who you are, and not expect to get an earful from Jay Z. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah. And a few other um, tweets. I think Barry Flatman also seemed to confirm that there was some sort of like he sent a very cryptic tweet about there is. Uh, discord within uh, the Swiss Davis Cup team as the team is about to head to the to the the, the finals. I don't know. Obviously, like, but we it's a lot. But we, at the same time, never know. and we might never know. But where there's smoke, there's usually, usually fire. fire. And this is kind of a lot of information it's to be coming down at one time. Smoke coming out of very specific places. Yeah, and interesting smoke and so, with smoke with uh, some lead. Yeah, so that's all very weird. If that you know affects Davis Cup chemistry, we'll see. I mean, I don't think that it. I don't would. think they will. And I also do, I also guys. don't expect them to play doubles together at Davis Cup. I think they'll probably put Q Nelly in and, with Stan. Uh, with Stan probably because I don't think they're gonna have Roger because Roger would play first on Sunday because mm-hmm. he's the number one. So I think they wouldn't uh, yep. play together anyway. Especially with Roger's back, you would not have Roger play three days in a row anyway. Yep. So, but in terms of. There might be some, and who knows what side Severin Luthi is on and all this. I mean, people will have to take sides. It, it could get me- it's it's messy already. The so. Swiss don't like to take sides, so this is this is working out to be a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a mess, yeah. an unexpected mess. It's a whole thing with Switzerland. It's a whole thing <laughs> with Switzerland. So what you were saying before, um, if you say something to Beyonce, don't expect Jay Z to come after you. Does that make Stan Solange? <laughs> That's weird. No, because that well maybe. Maybe? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the other semifinal had an interesting ending, or had an interesting middle, an interesting ending also. Novak Djokovic, in what turned out to be his last meaningful match of the year, he did not know that at the time, um, played Katie Nishikori, routed Nishikori early 6-1 in the first, was up a break early 1-0 in the second, and played a terrible game to get broken right back for 1-1, double-faulted a few times, and had a few other bad errors, and after he double-faulted, I think the second time in the row, 
um, on Breakpoint. I think it was second double fault or close to it, anyway. Second um, double fault of the game, for sure. Yeah, second double fault of the game. Um, he hit the net and Breakpoint, and the crowd started cheering, and Djokovic was pissed. And Djokovic uh, started giving, like, giving a sarcastic thumbs up and a few sarcastic racket claps and looked generally it was awesome. furious at the world. It was awesome. Um, Nishikori went on to win that second set, 6-3. Djokovic uh, then saved Breakpoint's early in the third, won at 6-0, shook hands with Nishikori in the chair and fire, goes to do the traditional camera sign, uh, gives a very brief, muted reaction to the crowd. Very brief and muted. Yeah. Right, yeah. Very not not warm at all, goes to the camera, and instead of drawing the signature in the heart, and, you know, like the heart you know fan, whatever he usually writes, he drew a dot. A small, little squiggle dot. Period. Period. End of sentence. Courtney, <laughs> what do you make of Dokovic? <laughs> Look, first of all, this is not a new phenomenon. We've all seen it before. Novak's been there before. That, generally speaking, when he... Not generally speaking, that's not true. But there are certain matches where when he takes the court, for whatever reason, he is not the crowd favorite. That can happen across many, for many different reasons. Either it's because he's playing Roger, where no one's the crowd favorite, so it's not particular to him. Or no one's the crowd favorite against Roger. Right, against yeah. Roger, right. Yeah. Um, or he's you know playing somebody who's playing at home or whatever it is. Everybody has their own theory. Or he's overwhelming it. favorite, not the underdog. That right. happens a lot too. Whatever. But um, you know we've seen situations where the crowd has gotten under Novak's skin. It's happened many many times. It happened right before he hit that forehand her down the world to uh, to break a nerve Roger Federer and save match points at the U.S. Open a few years ago. So it's happened. He let it get under his skin. He let it affect his game, and then he finally regrouped very luckily because Kaini Shikori really, really choked that first game in that third set. Yeah. Um, he had break points. He had a forehand down the line, mid-court forehand down the line that he netted and then missed a backhand. Um, very, very poor. But um, I will say what I think I've always said. I know I've said it to you. I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast. I am totally fine with this crap. Like... Own it. Like, if you're mad, Novak, be mad. Throw over a chair. Hit, you know, show us how you feel. Show, show us how you feel. Because here's the thing with Novak. Novak, as people who watch him know, and I like, we've, on the podcast, we've been very, very complimentary towards Novak. I think as a player, he's extremely underrated with how he handles himself off court. Mm-hmm. And off court, he's great. He doesn't get enough credit for what a good sportsman he is. He, he got my vote for ATP Sportsmanship of the Year, even though he wasn't a candidate. I had to write in Novak Djokovic, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Djokovic has done such a great job. That said, he's not a crowd favorite, and he also clearly wants to be liked a lot. He goes out of his way to be an entertainer and to be charming in a way that is prob- I would say, this is a tough thing to quantify, but less natural than the way that other people do, people do it. There's more effort visible with him. So when it doesn't work, there's a sense of frustration. It's so human. It's so human. It's a human reaction. A human I want reaction. you to like me. I've done nothing Why to piss you, you like off. Me? I'm playing great tennis. Screw all of you. I'm sorry that I'm beating this guy, but I'm like really good at tennis. I'm, I'm the world number him. one. I'm a two-time champion at this yeah. freaking tournament that you guys have, and you're booing me because or I'm cheering good. my fo- failures. Right, yeah. because I'm good at what I do. Like, fuck you. Like, yeah. I, that's a natural human reaction. Totally. And so I don't really have a problem with it. Like. Yeah, but I just wish that he would just own it. So that's the thing, Novak. If you want to be a villain, not that you have to embrace it and be like a cartoonish Fanini-type no, unlovable no one, person. No one wants a Fanini. No one needs a Fanini. But if you want to be someone who's like, hate it or love it, this is who I am, and if you don't like it, forget you, I don't need you, I appreciate that it's honest. And I think 
Djokovic has, had so, has done so many things well and failed to crack the Fidal stranglehold on the hearts of tennis fans. And this is, I don't know, it made and me not, happy. It just, seemed, it just seemed like a real authentic moment from Novak, who often is very calculated in things. Yes, I think that that's right. I think that's probably a good way to describe it. And I know that it sounds negative to say that he's calculating, and it's not. We all should be probably a little bit more calculating in yeah, our lives, you know, completely. to think about the consequences and to think about the person you want to be and how you want to be perceived by other people. But when you're spending so much energy that you should be spending elsewhere to, like, calculate and it's not paying off, like, that becomes, like, where you have to sit down and be like, you know what, man, like, it's cool, you know, just just be you. And even, I mean, I think that, honestly, even though his press conferences this week were very, he answered questions, he said what he had to say. He filibustered a he little filibustered bit. He filibustered a little bit. But his annoyance, at least I read it as kind of general. over it. Yeah, it's general annoyance and general just, like, I don't want to be talking to you, any of you. I appreciated that. It's the same way in Bercy. Yeah, a bit. Like, that's fine. Yeah. If you don't want to be here, don't be, you know, like, you have to be here because it's in the rules. But, like, I don't know. There was, I almost appreciated kind of the honesty of, like, I just, yeah, I, I just wear your heart on your sleeve sort of thing. I think I have a clip of Djokovic audio. If I do, I'll put it right here. Everything I have. No, but uh, you probably just say that you were emotionally a little more flat. I was a bit surprising knowing you as a person of the theater in a way, as a showman, that uh, you reacted a little bit badly when the crowd uh, applauded you. I, I mean, applaud, uh, I applauded. I They gave applause to, to Nishikori because you made a double. Why did I react bad? In no, what way? You were, you were nervous. I saw you that you were nervous. You, you, so I'm not allowed to be nervous in the no, court? No, I'm just asking because normally it doesn't happen to you. I just wanted to know if today was... Uh, and, I, and you lost a little bit of concentration. As yes, you I did. And it's my, it was my fault. It was yeah. my fault that I, that I allowed... allowed you know, no, I'm not criticizing. No, no, no. no. you trying to understand what happened. No, I mean, look. Uh, at the end of the day, it's... Uh, I cannot blame the crowd. The crowd has the right to, to, to do what they want and to cheer for whoever they want. Uh, some individuals that uh, that were uh, going over the line throughout the whole match or some provocations that I usually don't uh, react on but I did and that was my fault and uh, you know I, I lost the concentration I lost the break because of that and I allowed myself to to be in the situation to, to, to lose the set and then maybe even lose the match so yeah generally it was my fault and I, I should have known better I just was going to ask similar questions. Why do you think this particular incident upset you more than usual? Because you usually see a lot of composure. Well, look, you know, I've, as I said, you know, everybody is different, and um, everybody has choice what they do. I, I just uh, was not happy with the, the way that has influenced me and my game after that. Uh, I should have let it go, but. Um, you know, when you tolerate once, two, three times, you know, four times, you, you know, we're all humans, you react. But it's the way it is, and I'm just glad that I overcame that. It's a lesson, and uh, hopefully, you know, tomorrow will not happen. Novak, uh, millions of television viewers saw your gesture at the end of putting that dot or full stop on. Mm. Why are you so reluctant to share what's event? Because I don't feel like 
So ATP season is over. What will you remember this season for? I will remember the season for Roger Federer. Okay. I think that even though for me Djokovic is obviously player of the year, um, so impressive what he did, really impressive obviously what Rafa did as well up until the time he got injured. Um, but for me, I didn't see this level of consistency coming from Roger okay. um, at the end of last year. I mean, I thought that he was going to climb back up the rankings. I didn't think that he would just keep tumbling, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe there's an old NCR episode where I'm like, that guy's done. Yeah, it's entirely I th- I possible. Thought, I thought, I guess if I had to think back, and you guys can, I'm sure we said what we thought would happen last yeah, yeah. year. So you want to actually fact check us, feel free. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing I probably thought Roger would probably get up to like five this hmm. year. I didn't think he'd be a top two seed at the Australian Open, which he will be. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, it's massive. And the Get fact a shot that number one this week. That's the thing. Is like the fact that we were even talking about him being within earshot of number one is, is pretty incredible. Um, and to do it um, when everybody else was playing pretty darn well, you know, for the most part. Not for full seasons, you know, at the time, but like when... Um, you know, when, when Novak was kind of struggling through the first first third, like Rob, Roger was still playing pretty good and kind of laying the groundwork and then beat him in Dubai, and that was pretty massive. And, you know, but even when, when Novak and, and Rafa were playing pretty well, he was still right there and he was doing his thing. And I just think that for me, maybe, like, the massive titles weren't there. I think it was impressive he made the Wimbledon final. I still don't think that what he did changes for me how I see his 2015. I still see him as a long shot to win majors mm-hmm. I think he'll make finals that's not hard but I think I still will say what I know I said on this podcast a year ago seven matches best of five two weeks I think that's very very difficult yeah um, so I think physically he's tough but to show the level of consistency generally just in his game um, throughout this season the way that he did I, I have to tip my cap I, I did not see that coming I think this was a year of getting of, of Novak and some cause Novak wasn't number one at the end of 2013. It was Rafa, but Novak still had I think Player of the Year votes and I think was still in the conversation for that. And I think he probably would have won the argument for me. Could have won the argument for me just because of how consistent he was compared to Rafa. Um, I don't again I don't remember what I said at the end of last year. <laughs> I really should probably remember something instead of just. All. We have a lot of opinions. We have a lot of opinions. And they change. That's, it's hard to keep track of them. And Today, they, I was actually asked to do fill out this survey of who I thought would win all four majors next too. year, plus Davis Cup, plus year and year year in number one, plus who out of the top four would drop out. And I was like, Oh, I got a different last question. I was like, Dude, I this is. I mean, I can't even transition. And even once I wrote down all my picks, like I was thinking about it like an hour later, and I was like, you know what? I would probably change that. Yeah, I think this was a year where like Djokovic got elected by very much not by a mandate. He won by a plurality. I mean, he only won one slam. A lot of new guys like Chilich and Vavrinka got in there and got slams. Songa won a Masters. Roger got up to number two without winning a slam and only making one slam final. It was a year where there wasn't anybody with a stranglehold. And the same on the WTA a little bit with Serena. I mean, Serena was still clearly the best, but she didn't wasn't a reliable stopper the way that she has been in the past. And She was no Alizé Cornet, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so I think this was an interesting year, but I do think it kind of steadies again next year, and I think next year we will see Novak on top, Rafa and Roger in some capacity right there, nipping at his heels where surfacely appropriate and otherwise the field will remain about where it was this year. I don't think next year will be very different from this year. Maybe Novak win. I have Novak winning two slams next year. I, I think I did write that down, that Novak was going to win two slams next year. I'm but winning the Aussie I, and the French. 
That's what I had. Yeah. Oh, look at that. High five. But, but yeah, but I, I think that Rafa's right there. It's very difficult for me to choose between the two in terms of, like, who's going to have a better year. I mean, obviously, Rafa could win the French, and he could go two majors up uh, next year. But, yeah, 2015's a... I can't even pretend to think about it in any meaningful way no, at this not. moment. No, let's not. <laughs> Let, we have a whole off-season to do. Let's, let's just worry, worry about hibernating correctly. Yes. But before we hibernate, Ben, this was your first year yeah. in London. This was your first ATP World Tour Finals. I've covered the event, I think, three years, maybe four years running. Um, so at this point, I'm kind of, like, used to it. I kind of know my way around and what to expect. So I'm going to hand the mic over to you. Give us your thoughts. This was the tournament that I'd been to the most time, that I'd heard the most about and never been to for the longest time, because I've already done, well, I get to the French Open for the first time this year, too. But... There's a lot of build-up for me for it. I didn't quite know what to expect. I've been to Istanbul twice for the WTA Champs and Singapore once, so I knew basically what the event was like. And overall, I mean, it's obviously tough to judge because the matches were so bad in this edition. And so I feel like that colors it a little bit. But overall, and I think somewhat, some people who have been here longer have felt the same way, it felt a little bit stale to me here. Because I'd seen this on TV quite a few times in the whole blue court, the whole animations for breakpoints, um, which aren't very elaborate. They're sort of say breakpoint, a little sound effect. Um, yeah, I was not wildly impressed by the actual production of the event in terms of being an entertaining place to watch tennis. Less That's, impressed than you were in Singapore? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Wow. Singapore okay. felt a little bit fresher to me, just because it was the first time. Okay. Um, that said, I am massively impressed by the success of this tournament. This tournament gets shit done in a huge way in terms of what they've been able to do in terms of selling this event and making this a popular event in London is incredible and will not be duplicated anywhere else. Uh, well, you can get to if it should move next, but for them to be able to sell out a weekday day session with a ticket that just has one singles match, and that singles match is something like Chilich Burdich, that's incredible. To be able to put five Did they really sell of, that one out? Well, they had, okay, let's say, <laughs> let's say they had... I think a lot of people didn't show up, but I'm guessing because people don't know who plays until pretty late in the game. They get good advanced sales. They get really good advanced sales. Let's say they got... they got. Let's say it's like 17,000 capacity. They got at least 15,000 for that yeah, match. Yeah, that's so, probably right. I mean, they did really, really well. Um, yeah, I think that can't happen anywhere else. And this is clearly, I think, right now, the capital of tennis, London. I think there's no better place for tennis to exist as a sport. It's, it supports three tournaments in uh, Wimbledon, London, uh, sorry, Wimbledon, World Tour Finals in Queens. Uh, I think it's huge and it can't be duplicated. That said, the overall, I heard how much the production was and it felt a little bit sterile to me and a little bit cold and distant just because of but then again I think that is largely because of how flat the matches were and it didn't feel that way during Federer Wawrinka yeah I mean I think that um, I do think the matches have a little bit of play into how I felt about this tournament usually this is actually weirdly a grueling tournament because the matches do end up going fairly late and you end up leaving you know site at one two o'clock in the morning and getting home at like three and sleeping and turning around again and it almost feels like a covering a slam except there's only four matches every day yeah. or two singles matches really but you're on site just all the time yeah. um, but I do think that there is yeah a bit of a staleness to it and that's okay I mean if, if it's a stale that people just know what to expect and they like that from a fan perspective but I totally agree with you Ben that like I cannot think for all of the discussion of the Middle East, um, obviously the, the contract uh, with London runs out in 2015. Uh, Doug Robson reported 
for USA Today that the ATP was looking to exercise its option through the 2016 season. One more year. Um, and then, um, obviously, they'd be looking to either move it somewhere else or to keep it in London. Get um, a longer re-up, yeah. Right, and so when you think about London or Asia or the Middle East, which are kind of the three areas where you have some money and you have some support and things like that, I can't, I just honestly could not imagine this tournament in the Middle East. I could not imagine it in China. You would not get the press uh, attendance that this tournament gets because obviously they get all of the British press. That's just a huge, just massive. I mean, this is a big press room for a single, singular tournament. It's probably the biggest press room out, outside of the majors. I would agree with that. Right? Yeah. So bigger than the, you know, bigger than the, the Masters. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and they get the crowds and they get people who are into it. You have people who are applauding a Djokovic double fault because they want to see Kaini Shakori <laughs> make a match of it, you know. They have people who are pissed off because they didn't get to see Federer uh, Djokovic today and are demanding their money back. I mean, it, it, you have people who are engaged, who care about the event that's going on, and it, and it really does pervade the entire country. When you say, you know, when people ask you in London, like, what are you here for? And you're like, I'm here for the tennis. And they're like, oh, at the O2? Yeah, they know. You don't get that, that anywhere else. Everywhere. Like, seriously. So you really don't get like that in anywhere. Birmingham, else. people did not know where there's a tournament yep. there. Yep, Birmingham, they didn't know. I mean, Stanford barely knows that it has a Bank of the West tournament. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's it makes a big difference, and the players are treated incredibly well. Media, for the most part, are treated pretty well. Um, but uh, it does feel like once I got here, like home, oh, and a lot of it could be just me and my headspace, and I've been traveling a lot, and I just wasn't ready to like cover the final tournament. But it felt very flat. Um, and it was hard to get excited about being here. So that's the thing. I don't think they can replicate... That's the question of if it should move or not. I don't think they can replicate exactly this. I don't think they'll be able to sell single-ticket sessions for a six-versus-eight singles match in round-robin and be able to get this kind of money and income they get off of that product. I think they'd have to consolidate it a little bit, but I do think there are markets where it can do really well. One that comes to mind, and it's also the one that I was comparing it most against probably, was Paris Bercy, because the other men's indoor tournament I've been to. And in terms of production right now, and the lights and the flashing and graphics, whatever, Bercy is way ahead of this place, which I was surprised by. Um, if they wanted to flip-flop those two, that could work, because Paris also is a big market that could handle this tournament. The stadium is pretty much the same size. It could do it and then have London take the Masters instead. That was one thought I had, that maybe that would be a clean transition, because I think London could still support an indoor tournament for sure. They've shown an appetite for tennis this time of year. Um, yeah, but in general, I think I do think, agree with Djokovic, who got asked it quite a few times, like a lot. He got repeatedly asked over and over um, from British press who sounded a bit offended or wanted to get a, you know, a spiky sort of quote from him about it. Why do want, you not want it here? You know, why do you not love us, <laughs> Novak? Um, <laughs> well, that goes into a whole earlier conversation. Yeah, exactly. He should have just written a period and just dropped the mic and walked off the stage. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but he said that it should move because other markets should be exposed to this. And I totally agree with that. It's, it's like, a totally it's, fair argument. It's just it's a very difficult decision. I don't envy Chris Kermode and the ATP board at all in terms of the decision that they're going to have to make because you are going to be looking at a situation. And he said that I'm not going to chase money. I'm not going to go somewhere where we get the cash but not the fans. But... That's much Honestly, easier said than done. I don't see where that's going to happen outside of Europe. Yeah. Madison Square Garden. But even then, I'm like... Mm, they would not have the appetite for Chillis no. Burditch at all. And also, I was thinking about Madison Square Garden because that's where it used to be. And I don't know how... I guess Tennessee's been more popular in the U.S. than it is now. It's very obvious. Massively so. Massively so. You could not have... You could not conjure up appetite for tennis again like that two months after the U.S. Open in New York. It couldn't happen. Mm, that's a good point as people well. Be, yeah, people would art, have just seen tennis. The timing wouldn't work to go back to New York that quickly. Uh, China's had it before. China did pretty well. I think Shanghai was considered a pretty decent host when I had it for quite a few years. 
Um, well, the whole talk is the fact that Beijing just hates the fact that it plays second. It's the capital of China, and it plays second fiddle to Shanghai Masters because yeah. the China Open is obviously a 500. So there is this, you know, speculation that well, what if Beijing put a massive bid in for the Masters, and then that would give them they would be so happy because yeah. they, you know. But the thing is, is that like nobody even goes to like the Beijing tournament when you know there's a great final. Yeah. You know, there. So the it, crowds don't come, the yeah. The crowds don't come because it's not really centrally located. It's tough to get there. It's not easy to get there via metro. It's not tough, but it's not easy. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Huh. We'll keep you posted on all developments with that. But do you think it should move? Or do you think it, do you think it could stay here for the foreseeable future? Uh, I think that it should stay here. Okay. I do. I think that for the health so long as the sponsor money is coming in so long as they can re-up all of these sponsorship deals to where they sh- I mean if it's going to stay here it should make more money than it, it's it, you know they should be getting bigger contracts than they have currently Barclays is a great title sponsor yeah Barclays is a great title sponsor they've done a lot to just really make this tournament seem seamless yeah. you know it doesn't feel like a, a title sponsor just comes and slaps a, their name on but there's no like um, uh, hands on uh, investment but, um, so if they can get a bigger contract, I think that they should stay in London. I understand the whole idea of evangelizing tennis, but honestly, evangelize with smaller tournaments and do it that way first. Shenzhen do the evangelizing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, but for your signature tournament, the tournament that gives you the revenue, the ATP finals are the same as the WTA finals insofar as they fund the ATP in terms of operations and things like that. The ATP gets the profit It's the only tournament that the tours own. Right, exactly. So don't risk that. Yeah. Like, don't take a step down. So so long as they can get a bigger contract, I say stay in London. Um, I just don't see the benefit um, really being outweighed anywhere else. If not London, stay in Europe. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. Last thing we should mention briefly, because this will be our last show before the Davis Cup final, which is one event coming up soon on the calendar. Cordy, how do you see that one playing out? Well, I thought I knew how it was going to play out I until know. 12 hours ago. I know. You know, I mean, I think that the biggest question right now is Roger's back. And, yeah. um, you know, if they're going to field Sanga and Malfis, I think that the thing is, like, the wild card there is Malfis, actually, for me, because you give him, you tell him you just got to win two matches. And then your season's over, and you're well-rested. Malfis with focus is scary. Yeah, Malfis with focus and desire and being driven is a frightening prospect. So I think that that's an interesting thing. So how much will the emotional and physical tax of this tournament, not just, you know, the matches on Federer and Favrinka, but also all the other stuff that's happening off-court, to the extent that there's anything happening off-court, yeah. how much of, the, of that drains... The Swiss team as they head into the into the final. I think that that's really tough. So honestly, I thought it was going to be 3-0, uh, no, like 3-1 Switzerland. Yeah. I thought France would win doubles. Yeah, so France would win doubles. So I thought that, but now I genuinely don't know, and it's just going to be having to watch Rogers back. Pretty much. I completely agree with that. Um, I do think that if Rogers moderately healthy, I mean, he's going to, the way the seeds work, he would play if, I've guessing the French, if I were the French captain, if I were Arnaud Clément, I would pick Sanga and Malfis for singles. Um, and then, so, Roger would play Malfis first, because um, it's one versus two. And that was a very tough match at the, front, at the U.S. Open. Uh, so it could be very interesting. Uh, we'll see. I think I would you, pick, right now, I'd still pick Switzerland 3-1. Um, yeah, go ahead. Do you think that it's a no-brainer that France picked Clay? Do you think that actually they should have put it on hard court? if they're going to field Malfis and Songa? It's an interesting question. It's a little bit... They clearly did it for disruptive purposes, too, because they would have time to prep 
on clay before while while the better Swiss guys had to play in London because they were so much better at tennis. <laughs> um, it's like with the U.S. It's the same debate a little bit we have about when the U.S. put British on clay, playing against your opponent, playing towards your opponent's weaknesses rather than to your own strengths. That said, I think Monfils is as comfortable on clay as on anything. Uh, Sanga, it's one of those things because well, it's also different because Federer and Mon and Ravrinka have very different preferences too. Ravrinka yeah. would like a slow court much more than Federer. Um, I think it's kind of a wash. I think the comfort level, if it makes them feel happy, sure. And with, I think it'll work out now because Clay will make it a much more physical match for Roger, much longer points. Yeah. And if he's not feeling healthy, I think right now it will be a good choice. Um, most anticipated Davis Cup final since? Uh, there haven't been a lot of good ones lately. Um, but an- anticipated. I'm not saying it's going to be good or bad or right, whatever, most but anti- anticipated. It's definitely, well, I think it's the highest that I can remember, unless you want to talk pure U.S. perspective when the U.S. was in it versus mm-hmm. Russia, because I got a lot of attention in the U.S. For me, it was Spain-Argentina yeah. a few years ago when they played in Argentina and Verdasco uh, oh, yeah, won yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. That one was, but then that one didn't involve Rafa, so. Yeah, that's the thing. This one involves Roger, yeah, and that's, that's what makes true. it relevant. That's, that's why true. we have... Our, you know, Chris Clary is going to cover it for New York Times, and he's there. We haven't covered the last few Davis Cup finals because they didn't have a player. I mean, Djokovic was in a couple, which was unfair to him. But and it, Rafa. Right. But, <laughs> well, that's true. But Roger winning against first at this stage of his career yes, is, a bigger, exactly. is a better yeah. narrative than any of those were. Um, and we'll see. It's been interesting time for Davis Cup. Um, yeah, it's interesting to say the competition. I'd never been to a Fed Cup final, by the way, before. I haven't mentioned that really directly yet, but that was cool. It was very hard to get anybody outside Prague to care about it, but in the arena, it was pretty cool. And Angelique Kerber choked so hard. She and didn't that, choke. That, I just really reject that narrative. I really I, do. I, it's too easy. I it's disagree. too reductive. I, we've talked about this before. I think there is choking that can be determined purely from the scoreboard. I think if you're up 5-2 in one set and 4-1 in another and you don't win either of them, that can be considered a choke. Nope. I disagree. I, I look at it from a much granular level. I think that at the end of the day, her game is her game, and her serve is always going to be attackable. And in that instance, like if Petra red lines and she just drops just a little bit, just like natural nerves of trying to serve out or close out, I think things things affect that. Okay. Choke is like when you just have no reason. Like you literally get scared of your own shadow. Okay, well, that then she me definitely choked against Safarova then. Closer, when more she had, so. Especially when she had the, the hindrance on set point. Yeah, especially. no, I think the, lo- the loss of Safarova was way more shocking to me than what happened against Petra. It's just that once it happened with Petra, the context of what had happened with Safarova like elevated it to like a, holy shit, she's having a... I mean, she had a nightmare weekend. Yeah. But um, I thought that on the whole, she played really well. She did. She, on the whole, she did. And I'm glad to see that actually she got a chance to play it out and that she didn't get subbed out. Because I think that if she did get subbed out for Lissicky, um in the first match on Sunday that that would have kind of like basically gutted the, the entire heart of the, the German team. I think that would have been a really tough thing to recover for, and they'll have other chances. That's a good nucleus to have, um, yeah. and they'll have easier draws. I was talking to one of the Germans after Pekovic, and she was saying that they're hoping to, this will be a rivalry for them against the Czechs, and that next time they'll get to play the Czechs at home, yeah. and they'll do it on clay, and they will make sure it's raining. Even if it has to be indoors, <laughs> they will make sure it's raining to slow it down. Yep. Pretty much. And Germans, with their engineering, they can do that. They can do anything. They can do anything. 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 Courtney, you have spent the week in London. You have strong feelings about the city. How has this stay been in the context of our rants and raves segment, which we're going to close with again? The city has been good. I haven't had a chance to, like, actually enjoy it too much because I had incredible insomnia because I didn't over my jet lag from Asia when I was home and then on, by the time I was on a plane to London I was still completely yeah. out of whack you and did so, like three continents in three weeks pretty much 
yeah, it wasn't fun, um, just from a sleeping perspective. But I have to rave. I'm going to rave. I'm going to be positive. Good for you. I'm going to infuse some positivity Good. into this damp and dark country. <laughs> um, if you haven't had a chance, and maybe this is like a total like basic thing that everybody else knows and whatever, but if you are ever in London, do make a trek into Soho to go to a coffee shop called Monmouth Coffee, M-O-N-M-O-U-T-H. Um, it's in Soho on Monmouth Street, and um, their coffee is just phenomenal um their their drip coffee their lattes all of it really great they roast their own beans um it smells wonderful you can sit in there it's not like super airy but it's kind of i actually don't really like airy cafes i like really kind of like junky ones that Mm -hmm. are dark and a little tight so this is a little bit of that um the people are so nice really helpful um but i when i was able to wake up in the mornings i would trek down there to um grab a cup of coffee and just sit on the bench outside and watch people walk around and it puts you in Soho which is kind of fun to walk around during the day because it's not too busy but Monmouth Coffee best filter coffee I've ever had um, and Blue Bottle in San Francisco still better espresso drinks but Monmouth Coffee you win my heart with respect to filter coffee well that's a big claim for you because you, you like coffee I love coffee there you go yeah. I will do more of a rant um, I don't I usually stay in a lot of Airbnb places around uh, the world and so I don't usually get a television in my room and this time I did um, I was staying at a Holiday Inn Express near the O2 Arena, where there was not much else in that neighborhood at all. So you pretty much had to go back to the room, and I would reflectively turn on the reflexively turn on the TV, and there is just like objectively nothing on British TV <laughs> after um, 11 p.m., which is usually when I got there. Like all they have are these weird like pseudo game shows with comedians who aren't really comedians, they're like really low level and they make jokes and it's often weirdly dirty. There's usually like elderly nude people, which is distressing. And they'd be like, they would each like have three people go in a box where there'd be like naked people, but one of them wouldn't have a naked person. You need to guess are their reactions like which one was not near an old naked person? <laughs> it's like what are we watching? That here? sounds like an amazing bit of television. It really wasn't though. That's the thing. It was not real executed for as good as that concept is. And once you see that once, like when it's on every night and they're different old naked people and you have to like take a rope and thread it through their piercings of this old person it's like what are we doing here that was not great the other thing they have in the UK which I had seen before when I was here before and we have a little bit in the US is they have they have these late night gambling type shows where they have they like encourage people to call in or oh, to, the text to, messaging or, or like they do it different ways different times they're all basically a scam um, I remember the one that I saw six years ago, which I remember very clearly, was like call in, like dial like a 900 number, so you pay like 199 per call or something, and you have to guess like what the correct answer is to this question. It was like on a board, it'd be like red blank, and people would call and be like, oh, is it red apple? And it's like they were like, is it red apple? No, 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 sorry, it's not red apple, but keep calling. And then they would like they would sort of fill, you know, the the air and the host make really idle chit chat and stuff so people keep calling calling I'm like I know what it is why aren't they letting me call so it'd be like a red fire truck or red double decker bus and they're like oh is it a red bus no <laughs> and maybe eventually someone gets it the other one they have on TV now is roulette they have roulette on TV where you like they wait like every two minutes there's a number that comes up and people call in and make make actual bets or something. That's that, like, the next strange. number will be something else? or like a No, no, it's like a roulette. It's like normal roulette. So you place your bets, oh, like, on a number, you're... and then they spin the wheel, which is not a real, real wheel. It's a video wheel. And the host makes it chit-chat. And it's, like, on... Literally, I got about 60 channels on the TV there. It was on, like, seven of them. We're showing different or the same roulette programs at midnight. And it's exploitive and really boring. It's not entertaining. I did not like it. 
Dear Adam Silver, no, there should not be legalized betting in America. It would because be bad. this is what you can you imagine how many stations? Oh my god. It'd be really bad. But I don't think I would normal stations do it? Would there be specific betting stations? I wonder how it would work out. Like, would Tennis Channel at midnight flip over to Roulette? If sports betting was legal, you don't think ESPN would be in on oh, that? Oh, they'd be so in on That's it. so cash. It would be so, so in on So easy cash. Sports betting I have less of a problem with, because there's at least some, like, thinking that goes on in that Roulette. It's just stupid, especially when it's not even a real ball and wheel. Yeah. That's dumb. Fair enough. Anyway, so that was my thing. Get better TV. The other thing, like, the movie channels they had, had terrible movies that, like, they clearly paid no money rights for. I watched this week Anaconda 3. Anaconda 4 Anaconda 4 again <laughs> Alright Anaconda 3 was much better Than Anaconda 4 I think we know why Ben's in a bad mood And ranting Because Anaconda 3 Had David Hasselhoff um, Who's a favorite Of our German reporter friend Petra Philipson Who just joined Twitter You should follow her P. Philipson Yeah Anaconda 3 was much better However It's really frustrating When you have a horror movie And the right character Doesn't survive till the end mm. Like the one Who was really annoying Who kept getting Everybody else killed By accident And couldn't do shit To save herself Somehow is the one Who winds up walking away And looking like The brave person Who like won She was like the hero She sucked I have anger About Anaconda 3 Anaconda 4 She's again Right back there Leading the movie And <laughs> who's dying Everybody but her I have to Ugh. say that I love that every single time we do this rants and rave segment, Ben's like, do you have anything? And he looks like, <laughs> I don't really have anything to rant or rave about. And I'm like, yeah, I have something. And then he goes and proceeds to have like five things. I'm like Djokovic, it's in me. My, in, my inner dot is bottled up. Own, own once, your dot. And once I get there, it'll be loud and dotty. Release the dot. So thank you guys for releasing your dots with us. I guess. Uh, if you want to release your dots uh, along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes or any other podcast app service type thing and leave us reviews there. And if you have questions for a future episode, we're going to be taking a lot of questions in the off season because we have a lot of time to fill. Uh, you can send us your questions via email or Facebook, but email's good because you can be as long as you want and private if you want. Uh, our email address is nochallengesremaining at gmail.com. That's it for us from the tennis this year. From the tennis. From the tennis. We say goodbye to tennis now. Um, I... Absence will make the heart grow fonder. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think that our jobs are great. We love we it. Complain, we would not be lot. flying if like we didn't want to be here. But it's just I need my bed. Yet, I need, I my need dog. to hibernate. Yeah, I need a little bit of rest. Yeah. So, so there we go. We will see. We'll be. We'll keep talking. We will. We will slow down, but our mouths will not. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Bye, bye. If something's wrong, blame